Hello and welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of OWD Limited and Commissioners for HMRC. The citation for this case is 2019 UKSC 30. And this case looks at the power of the state when it comes to regulating the sale of alcohol. The law in this area changed in 2015 when the Finance Act introduced Section 88C of the Alcoholic Liquor Duties Act 1979 that required wholesalers of alcohol to be approved by HMRC. The basis of this approval is that the seller must be a fit and proper person in the eyes of the commissioner. Now the idea of being a fit and proper person is a term that often gets bandied around in legal context, but unlike in other areas, there isn't a statutory definition to rely on here. Instead, the words are said to be given their ordinary meaning, and beyond that, HMRC also offers some general guidance stating that fit and proper covers suitability, compliance and integrity when it comes to a given business's tax affairs. Ultimately, this is an assessment about whether the person poses a risk to the revenue. Anyway, the appellants in this case, OWD, had already been wholesalers of alcohol before Section 88C was introduced in 2015. But as part of the scheme, they still had to get approval in order to be able to continue trading. Unfortunately for them, HMRC refused to give their approval as the commissioners came to the conclusion that OWD did not meet the fit and proper person test. The wholesalers were not happy about this, and so they appealed the decision to the first tier tribunal. But while that appeal was pending, they obviously wanted to continue trading, and that is what these particular proceedings are all about. OWD made a request to HMRC to continue trading in the interim, and when permission was refused, the present judicial review was brought before the High Court. The wholesalers had no more luck in the High Court as their case was dismissed, but when the proceedings moved up to the Court of Appeal, there were a number of interesting conclusions that were reached. For a start, while the Commissioners cannot use their general ancillary powers under Section 9 of the Commissioners for Revenue and Customs Act 2005, to grant temporary approval for the wholesale of alcohol, that power can actually be implied in these circumstances by virtue of Section 88C of the Alcoholic Liquor Duties Act 1979 that we have already discussed earlier on in the episode. However, the power was held to be at least somewhat limited as HMRC would not be allowed to take into account the potential hardship on a person or the impact on their appeal rights when coming to a decision on temporary approval because those factors are not relevant. The Court of Appeal did not stop there, as they went on to consider the power of the courts in these circumstances as well. Where HMRC have refused interim relief, it was held that the High Court could itself grant an injunction under its general power in Section 37 of the Senior Courts Act 1981. Nevertheless, it was noted that this should only be done in rare circumstances, such as where the refusal to grant an injunction would basically make the associated appeal against the original decision by HMRC completely futile. Clearly, there are a lot of questions thrown up by these proceedings, and so it isn't surprising that there was both an appeal and a cross-appeal to the Supreme Court that focused on two key questions. Firstly, what powers do HMRC have in relation to temporary approval for wholesalers of alcohol pending an appeal to the first-tier tribunal that they are not a fit and proper person. And secondly, if it is held that HMRC does not have such a power, or if they do have the power but refuse to exercise it in particular circumstances, 
Is it then possible that the High Court would be able to grant interim relief in the form of a mandatory injunction? The justices of the Supreme Court began with the powers of HMRC to grant temporary approval, but this question itself had to be split into two because, as we just said, the Court of Appeal considered the existence of such a power under both the Alcoholic Duties Act 1979 and the Commissioners for Revenue and Customs Act 2005. Beginning with the 1979 Act, it is actually Section 88C that is at the heart of this appeal, because it is this provision that requires the Commissioners to come to a decision as to whether a person is fit and proper for the purposes of the wholesale of alcohol. The problem with the argument as presented is that in a case like this, they have already come to a decision with respect to OWD's status, and now, for the sake of interim relief, they are asking HMRC to use the exact same section to come to the exact opposite conclusion. Quite simply, this doesn't make any logical sense, and so in her leading judgement, Lady Black held that HMRC could not be said to have such a power under the 1979 Act. That seems fair enough, but what about the powers that the Commissioners might be said to have under the 2005 Act? After all, this is a more generic provision that basically allows them to take any action that they deem to be necessary or expedient in relation to their functions. The problem for the Justices was that this kind of runs into the same sort of problems, just in a more indirect fashion. Let's say, for example, that the power under Section 9 of the 2009 Act was used to grant temporary approval for OWD. In that instance, the Commissioners would be holding OWD out to be a fit and proper person when the truth is that they have actually already arrived at the opposite conclusion. To resolve that contradiction, precedent would have to be given to the original decision that OWD are not fit and proper, because it is only Section 88C of the Alcoholic Duties Act that allows HMRC to grant authorisation in the first place. Realistically, Section 9 of the 2005 Act only offers a very generic solution, and if the Commissioners were to use it to grant temporary relief, then this would cause an imbalance in the legislative scheme as a whole. Lady Black then went a step further and held that, if this is the case, then use of the Section 9 power in this context could not be classed as either necessary or expedient in relation to the functions of the Commissioners, and was therefore completely unavailable. Thus, in relation to the first issue in this appeal, the Supreme Court found that HMRC had no power to offer interim relief under either the Alcoholic Duties Act 1979 or the Commissions for Revenue and Customs Act 2005. Progressing onwards, the next question is if the Commissioners did not have such a power, then does the High Court offer an alternative route to temporary approval by way of a mandatory injunction? This would be a fairly extreme resolution, but surprisingly both parties agreed that there are circumstances in which the High Court can grant an injunction, but there were a number of outstanding issues such as the factors that ought to be taken into account and the evidence that is presented. However, the justices of the Supreme Court undercut the foundation of both sides' reasoning when they instead began by noting that a mandatory injunction cannot be used to make someone do something that they do not actually have the power to do. For example, you couldn't be forced to negotiate a new withdrawal agreement with the European Union because you do not have the power to do that in the first place. The reason this aspect of mandatory injunctions is relevant is because when we were discussing the first part of this judgement, the Supreme Court came to the conclusion that HMRC does not have the power to grant temporary relief 
under the 1979 or 2005 Act. Of course, this is all obiter because it was not a point of dispute between the parties in this appeal, but it is pretty clear that Lady Black believes that the High Court would not really be in any different a position compared to HMRC. In the end then, this was a big win on all counts by the commissioners, but before we move on to our own analysis, it is worth briefly considering the concurring judgement of Lord Hughes, who threw something of a spanner in the works. Although he formed part of the unanimous majority in this case, he did take the opportunity to note that there is a potential human rights issue at stake here. Say for example you are running an alcoholic wholesale business, but do not get approval when the new regime comes in. If you have good grounds for appeal, but may go out of business in, in, in the interim, thanks to the lack of temporary relief available, then this raises serious questions about human rights compatibility under Article 6 of the European Convention on Human Rights, which is the right to a fair trial. As we move to our own evaluation of this case, that human rights argument is an interesting place to start. After all, this decision places companies like OWD in a difficult situation especially if they are financially vulnerable at the time of the decision by HMRC. Essentially, the commissioners are in a position where they can take away the ability of a person to operate their business, and although there is an appeal process, if there is no possibility whatsoever of temporary relief, then it could spell the end of the business before the appeal is even heard. That is not to say that temporary relief should automatically be granted but in exceptional situations, the option should at least be there, and as Lord Hughes notes, the fact that it isn't raises serious questions about the rule of law. A further issue with the judgement in this case concerns the reasoning that is employed for the greater part of it. Ostensibly, there is a logical contradiction between HMRC deciding that a person is not fit and proper under Section 88C, but then using statutory authority to suddenly declare the person to be fit and proper after all. On the surface that sounds completely reasonable, but in actual fact the approval that is being denied in each instance is not really for the same thing. In the first place the commissioners are making a general assessment about the suitability of the individuals in question. In the second instance they would simply be denying temporary relief from this general assessment for a limited period of time. To put it another way, they are basically saying, we still don't believe that you are a fit and proper person but are prepared to allow you to continue operating on a temporary basis at least until your appeal is resolved. These positions do not contradict one another and in fact would sit perfectly well together as part of a single legal process from the original decision through to the conclusion of any subsequent proceedings. Of course we can also see this from the other side and note that there isn't really any explicit power that grants HMRC the power of temporary relief and use of the 2005 Act like we discussed would probably be a bit flimsy at best. Furthermore, remember that the overall aim of Parliament from the 2015 Finance Act was the protection of the revenue in the UK, and so a strict approach would come closest to achieving this aim. Nevertheless, that does not answer why the High Court should not have the power to at least grant a mandatory injunction. We've already established that this would not be contradictory as Lady Black asserted in her lead judgement. It is pushing it to say that such action is completely beyond the power of HMRC, and finally, as we have discussed at length, the requirements for temporary relief would be onerous for any claimant, and by no means easy to satisfy. 
It's a shame that the Supreme Court could not at least be a little bit more inventive in situations like this, and instead chose to shut down the avenues of legal recourse for business owners who have their livelihoods threatened. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the UK Law Weekly Podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Remember, you can find me all over the interwebs uh, on the website at uklawweekly.com, on Twitter at uklawweekly, and on YouTube as well, youtube.com forward slash Marcus Cleaver. One of the other things that we have going on at the moment is the Facebook group, so just search for UK Law Weekly in Facebook and I'll let you join that. We have interesting discussions there, as well as a recent poll on the prospect of the UK leaving the European Union on the 31st of October, as promised by Boris Johnson. I hope that you'll join me on that, but in the meantime, I'll be back with another episode of the podcast next week. So until then, bye!